Let's open the Word of God to the book of Matthew, chapter 23. Matthew, chapter 26. And let's begin with verse number 36. Then Jesus came to them at a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go pray over there. And he took with them Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further, fell on his face, and began to pray, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. A second time he went away and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. He came and found them asleep again, and their eyes were very heavy. So he left them, went away, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. He came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This morning, just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, from the table to the garden. From the table to the garden. From the table to the garden. You may be seated. Um, this story that I just read to you about the Garden of Gethsemane is a familiar story that all of us have heard before and usually we hear these stories of the garden, we hear the stories of Calvary, the crucifixion, the passion. We usually associate those stories with Easter, and rightfully so. But this morning, I felt led of the Holy Spirit to look at this particular story because I believe that this story really does apply to all of our lives this morning. And no matter what you're facing or what you're going through, I believe that this particular story has great power. Now, it's important, very important, um, that we pay attention, that uh, we dedicate our minds and our hearts to what I'm saying this morning, because you could get lost, and then when you get lost, you're going to lose the point of the sermon, and then when you leave church this morning, you're going to be wondering, I had no idea what the preacher said. I mean, so it's important that we pay attention this morning, and let's not be distracted by Facebook or your phone but let's just pay very close attention to the Word of God because if you receive, your level of expectation determines your level of receptivity. So how many is ready to receive this morning? Raise your hand. So I want you to pay very close attention to the context of this story. Now, I just read to you the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, but do you realize that the story before the Garden of Gethsemane is this story? I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but it's Matthew 26, 17. This is the story before the garden. The story before the garden is found in Matthew 26, verse number 26. They'll put it behind me. Now look at it. This is interesting to me that I've never saw this before, but it's so very true. It says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread he blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples, said, take this, eat this, this is my body. He goes on to verse number 27. He says, um, 
He took the cup, gave the cup, gave it to his disciples, drink from all of it. Verse 28, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine now until the day that I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. Look at verse 30. And when they sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Now, verse number, verse number 36 starts the story of the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus praying in the garden and the disciples are asleep. Now, my point is this. Don't lose me. There is the story of the table and then it goes from the story of the Lord's table to the story of the garden. And that is very, very significant for us to see. The story of the table where they were communing together and eating together and then it goes from that context to the story of Jesus praying in the garden and his soul was very heavy and vexed. My point is the table, the communion, there was 12 disciples there. They were singing a hymn together. They sung from the book of Psalms. Jesus began to share his heart with them about the new covenant. He is sharing things with them about this new covenant that's being instituted after his death. And they begin to sing a song. It was words of certainty. But words of certainty change to words of anxiety in the garden. It was words of doctrine in the table or on the table or at the table. And it goes from the words of doctrine and words of certainty and theology and it changes to depression. It changes to sorrowful distress. It changes to, is there anybody praying with me? Does anybody feel my heart? There's a shift between the stories. The table story is the story of certainty, the story of reality, the story of this is a new thing that God's getting ready to do. It's a glorious thing. And it changes to words of anguish, words of despair. His sweat becomes great drops of blood. He couldn't even get his three closest friends to pray with him. And at the table, all 12 of them was in tune to everything he was saying. All 12 of them was leaning into the table to listen to the words that fell from his lips. But at the garden, he couldn't even get three of them to stay up with him to pray. Do you see the shift in the story? Do you see the shift between the stories? And do you know what theologians tell us? From the Lord's Supper, from the table, which has happened in the upper room, that location to the garden theologians tell us is one mile. So it's interesting to me that in one mile, his attitude changed. In one mile, Jesus' words of certainty changed to words of anguish. In one mile, 12 disciples are leaning in to listen to his very words. They were listening to his words. They, they wanted to commune with him. It was like honey dripping from his lips. He was instituting a new and glorious covenant. It's a new day, but yet it changed to the garden where Jesus' sweat became great drops of blood and he's full of anguish and very sorrowful and, and, couldn't have, and three people couldn't even pray with him. There is a major shift in one mile. 
And my friends, sometimes that's how life is. Life can change in a matter of one mile. Life has the ability to change quickly in a mile. How many would raise your hand this morning and say, Pastor, I've been there before. That life has quickly changed in a moment, in a second, in a mile. Words of certainty and hope and expectation was changed to despair and despondency in just a short amount of time. Sometimes our life goes from the table to the garden. Sometimes our life is a, is a struggle between the table and the garden. And sometimes you've got to learn how to manage the table. You've got to learn how to manage the garden even when you're at the table. I, I would propose this, that I think that it's very, very, very possible that you can be talking at the table with the garden on your mind. I think it's possible that you could sit at the table with the garden on your mind. I think it's possible that you could sit at the table listening to the words of Jesus, but yet struggling with the garden on the inside of you. You see, you've got to know how to keep it together sometimes at the table. You see, it's interesting to me that Jesus never opened his heart up at the table. Jesus never opened his heart up at the table and said, listen, I'm sorrowful. I'm getting ready to die. I need help. I need prayer. Jesus didn't have table talk with them about his heart. He had it at the garden. And my first principle that you need to see from this story is very clear that sometimes, number one, you cannot give a public face to a private fight. You can't give a public face to a private fight. You are not to air out your laundry at the table all the time. You have to find the people that God has placed in your life at the garden so you can share your heart with. He shared his heart at the garden, not the table. At the table, he instituted a new covenant. At the table, it was words of certainty, not doubt. It was words of, it was words of freedom and joy. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they sung a song at the table. But it was in the garden. His sweat became great drops of blood. He's very, he's very much in distress. In a matter of one mile, it changed. You cannot give a public face to a private fight. You've got to learn where to share your heart to and who to share your heart with. You can't make everything public. It reminds me of, of Joseph in the book of Matthew. The Bible says that he minded to put her away privately because he understood that some things are not to be aired out in the public all the time. That the, that, that the message of Jesus is so important that I don't want to discredit the message of Jesus or the church by my own issues. I'm not going to go home and talk about the church to unsaved people. I'm not going to bring the church down and give it a bad name in front of the world. I'm not going to give a public fight, a face to a private fight. There are some things that you've got to fight privately. And you only allow those that God has allowed in your light to share that with. Your circle of confession should never go outside of your circle of offense. You've got to make sure that your circle is those that God has placed in your life to share your heart with. Don't give a public face to a private fight. You see, 
Sometimes I'm convinced that you can preach your garden experience at the table. Sometimes we've done that. We have preached our garden experience at the table, and that was inappropriate. Sometimes it's good that we have our garden experiences, but it's also good that you learn how to serve at the table with the garden on your mind. Have you ever done that before? I have. I have preached at the table, but my heart was a garden. Have you not served at the table and your heart was a garden? Have you not sung at the table and inside you had the garden on your mind? You see the conflict? Sometimes at the table, you've got to keep yourself together. And you've got to learn how to fight that battle privately with the people that God has placed in your life. You've got to learn how to put the face on at the table. Because God says, keep it together at the table, but I will bring you to a place where you can share it with the people that's closest to you. Don't give a public face to a private fight. Oh yes, it changes from the table to the garden, and it changes in a matter of one mile. The table, words of certainty, words of joy, a new day, singing a song at the table in one mile, words of distress, anguish, sleeping. Sometimes you have to sing at the table with the garden on your mind. You've got to preach at the table when your heart is a garden. You've got to serve people at the table when your heart is a garden. The true test of spiritual maturity is understanding the difference between the table and the garden. It's understanding that I could serve at the table even when the garden is on my mind. You see, what I've learned from this story is that you don't only give a public, don't give a public face to a private fight, but number two, you cannot get stuck on elevated moments. You can't get stuck at elevated moments? Yes. Because what was the elevated moment? The table of the Lord. Communion. They sung a song together, verse 30. It was an elevated moment. It was at that moment Jesus instituted one of the greatest sacraments ever known to the human history. It's because of that sacrament that there are splits in denominations. It was right there at that important moment in history, Jesus instituted his body and his blood in the symbols of bread and wine. It was a new day, a new covenant, words of certainty. It was an elevated moment for those disciples. To the point that the disciples said, Lord, is it I? Would I ever offend you, Lord? They felt such a closeness to the Lord that they didn't want to offend him. It was an elevated moment. That elevated moment quickly in one mile became a valley, a low place. Sometimes we want to stay at the table. We get stuck at elevated moments. We get stuck in the joy and the celebration of church services. 
We get stuck at elevated moments where God blesses us and promotes us and we feel the presence of God. We feel God moving in our life. That's an elevated moment. It's a table experience. But sometimes that table experience can quickly turn to a garden experience in a matter of one mile. You cannot live your life at elevated moments. You cannot live your life at an elevated moment, you've got to learn how to manage the garden experience. There are high highs and there are low lows. You know what a valley is? A valley, and I wanted to put a picture up there and I actually just, just forgot. If they can find me a valley, just a picture of a valley with two mountains, that would be awesome, but not, you, know, you don't have to. I'll just throw that out. But a valley, <laughs> a valley is a low place between two high places. Everybody say that with me. A valley is a low place between two high places. So guess what? Elevated moment, if you're going to get to the other elevated moment, you've got to go through the what? Elevated moment, Elevated moment, valley. If you're going to progress in God, there's going to be valleys and there's going to be mountaintops, elevated moments. But in order for you to progress with God, you've got to learn how to manage the low places so that you can get to the high place. And what happens with Christianity, we get so discouraged in the low place that we forget the hope of a next elevated moment. We want to give up at the low place. We want to throw in the towel at the low place. But can I just prophetically speak to you today that you may feel like you are in a low place in your life. And if you feel like you are in a low place, the good news is this, you're getting ready to hit an elevated place. Can I hear an amen? Can somebody just shout hallelujah? Well, they did it, didn't they? You see, you see a valley? A valley is a low place between two high places. We get at the table, the high place. Sometimes you've got to go through the garden, the low place, in order for God to bring you up to another elevated place. I don't know about you, but I feel faith in the building. I said I feel faith in the building. This is good news. If you're in the valley, guess what? You're getting ready to go to an elevated place. Can somebody stand to your feet, give God praise, because you're getting ready to go to an elevated place in Jesus' name. Hallelujah! I said hallelujah! So, you can't, can't, can't give up in that elevated place, or uh, low place, you got to learn how to manage that low place. i got to get to the next high place when I go through the valley. Number three, you've got to learn the difference between being burned out and being poured out. There's a great difference between being burned out and poured out. Did you hear me? Great difference. 
How do I know I'm being burned out? Jesus is in the garden. Jesus' sweat became great drops of blood. He is saying, Father, if it's possible, let it pass from me. His disciples are sleeping. He gets aggravated saying, wait, what's wrong with you? Wake up, pray with me. This is a distressful situation. Some people would say, Jesus, you're burnt out. Ministry has burnt you out because you're, you're upset, dude. You're just, up, you're just you're responding wrong. But maybe he wasn't burned out. Maybe the issue here, Jesus was being poured out. Oh, I've experienced burnout. I really have. Probably a year and a half ago, I experienced burnout. I just mentally, and that's why a year, about a year ago, I was going through this burnout. I didn't want to pastor. I, I mean, I just, I think I told the elders that I was mentally burned out. I did this since I was 22 years old. I am just, I love people, but I'm just burnt out. I don't know if I can handle the stress any longer. And that's why I made the change in my life to lose weight. And I've lost 60 pounds as of Friday. And number two, I made a decision. And of course, I want to get married. That's also why I lost weight, but I'll just throw that in there. And number two, um, I decided that I was going to reprioritize my life to prayer. Because if I didn't learn how to pray now, I'm going to crumble in ministry. My priority is to commune with Christ. His opinion of me matters most than anybody else. His love for me matters most than anybody else. He is everything I've ever needed. He is my world. He is everything. And without Him, I cannot make it. So, I decided that's what I was going to do to reprioritize my life because I didn't want to be burned out at a young age. I just didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. And there's... What is burned out? Burned out is more physical. These are the symptoms of someone being burned out, number one. And just ask yourself, am I burned out in life? Number one, they have it behind me. Number one, these are the symptoms of somebody being burned out in ministry. Do you have it, brother? Number one, your motivation is faded. You know you're being burned out in life, and you don't have to be in the ministry. You could just be in everyday life. Your passion, your calling is, is just it's faded. You once was excited about what God has called you to do, but you have no motivation anymore. Your passion is dwindling. Your motivation is dwindling. You know you are facing burnout, and I could testify that I experienced that. I didn't want to preach. I, I didn't care if I preached or not. It was just, you know, motivation dwindling. Number two, you know that you're burned out. Number two, quickly, Jeremy. Number two, your main emotion is numbness. You no longer feel high highs or low lows. You're just numb. You don't get excited about anything. And I think it's important that you do get excited about stuff. I cannot, I, you know, people say, well, I'm just not emotional. You are emotional. God created you as an emotional person. So it's important that you express some sort of emotion. And you know you're burned out when you have, you're, you have nothing. You're just numb. You don't care about anything. All right? There's a numbness about you. Number three... There is people drain you, even the people that love you, people that you love dearly, they just drain you, get on your nerves. Normally they wouldn't get on your nerves, but they get on your nerves, all right? People drain you. Number four, 
You know you're being burned out when little things make you angry. When you just get angry over little things, you know you're getting burned out. Things that normally wouldn't make you angry, they make you angry. Next, you become cynical. You begin to think that everybody is out, out for their own selves. Everybody's selfish. Everybody's out for their own selves. Nobody cares. You get that cynical attitude. Number six, you know that you're getting burned out when your productivity is very low. You're just doing the very minimum. Go to work, eat, you just, you just do the very minimum. No excitement, no passion in your life. Things that once used to excite you, they normally don't excite you any longer. Number seven, some people have to self-medicate themselves just to make it during the day. Self-medicate themselves. And medicine is not bad, uh, but when it makes you abnormal, then uh, you maybe have an issue. Self-medication. Then number eight, you don't laugh anymore. You have a hard time laughing anymore. Nothing uh, makes you laugh anymore. Number nine, uh, sleep and time off never really refuse you any longer. Now these, this list comes from Kerry Newoff. He is one of the top speakers in Christianity concerning church health and self-care. This list was very important as I read through it. This affects you physically when you are burned out. Now, number three, they'll put it back up there. Number three, you need to understand that there is a difference between being burned out and being poured out. What do I mean by being poured out? Burned out, it deals with you emotionally, deals with you physically, but being poured out deals with you spiritually. And it's when you are being poured out, it is when you are wrestling to do the will of God and God takes you through a valley to bring things out of you so that you will submit to his plan. That's being poured out. It's the more God promotes you, the more he humbles you. The more you go through the valley, the more you decrease that he increases. The more that you submit to the will of God, that is the tension of being poured out before God. And that's what Jesus Jesus wasn't burned out, he was poured out. How do I know that? The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 26, I want you to look at verse number 38. Matthew 26, 38, Jesus being poured out. The Bible says, verse 38, Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Listen, if you're going to recover from being burned out or poured out, because there's a recovery process that you go through after God after you pour yourself out, you've got to admit that, listen, God's working in my life and I submit to his plan and you also got to admit that you're burned out. There has to be this, I admit this. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm being poured out here. The Lord is doing something in my life. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. He says, stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and that's how you know that you are being poured out. Because verse number 38, 39, he went a little further. Those who are being poured out go a little further, while those who are being burned out has no motivation to go any further. So he is being poured out. You know you are being poured out when there is a draw of the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of submission and you feel that pull. You have the desire for God to work in your life. Even though there's a struggle... 
There's a tension there. You are being pulled by the Spirit of God to pull yourself out, to relinquish your will, to relinquish your agenda, and allow His work and His plan be accomplished in your life. Being poured out is a process of submission. It's a process of dying to self. It's a process of saying, not my will, but thine be done. And isn't it interesting, my friends, that Jesus said, not my will, because he wasn't denying his will. When you're burned out, you don't deny how you feel. When you're being poured out, you don't deny that you, you don't deny how you feel in this situation. You don't deny your will. You don't deny reality. He said, it's not my will but your will be done. And that's how you know you're being poured out. When you submit your will to His will, even when you don't like it. That's how you know you're being poured out. You know you're being poured out where there's an anticipation of the resurrection, even when you're in the garden. You've got to know the difference between being poured out and being burned out, I think one of the greatest challenges that we miss in life is that we want God to deliver us from things that He wants to keep us in. I am convinced that there is two types of power in the Scripture. There is the keeping power of God, and there is the delivering power of God. Somebody say amen. There is the delivering power of God, and then there is the keeping power of God. He can deliver you from the Red Sea, Somebody say, praise God. He can drown Pharaoh and the Egyptians in the Red Sea for you and make you cross over in dry ground as Miriam takes the tambourine and dances across the dry ground because he is a delivering God, but he's also a keeping God. He can keep you in the fire without it even burning you, without you even feeling smoke. You've got to make a decision. Is he delivering me or is he keeping me? And whether he's keeping you or whether he's delivering you, he is cultivating something in your life. It's either he's cultivating or he is is either he's keeping you or he's delivering you. And I can testify to you, my friends, that there is times that God delivered me from things because I prayed and sought his face and I, I knew God brought me out of it but there are times I pleaded with God please deliver me please help me and God says I'm giving you grace to stay in it he gave me grace in the garden and the only reason I could stay in the garden because I knew I was in the valley and I knew there is a mountaintop coming. I knew that there's an elevated place coming. If I can just get somebody better say amen. If I can get through the valley, I can get to the mountaintop. Are you burned out? What do I do when I'm burned out? You've got to admit you're burned out. Number two, if you're burned out, you've got to tell somebody that's close to you and confide in them. Be accountable. Let them pray with you. If you're burned out, number three, you've got to take a time of rest and relaxation and get your mind and heart. Number four, you've got to have a time of reflection. You've got to come to a place in your life where you sit down and you elevate or you reevaluate your life. What is important to me? What am I called to do? And what is my strategy to get it done? And do I have the want to to get it done? 
You've got to resolve some things in your heart, whether you're going to do it or you're not going to do it, and get off the fence. Jesus resolved it in his heart as he was praying in the garden. That is why Jesus in the garden, he resolved it in his heart. How do I know Jesus resolved things in his heart? Because Matthew 26 and verse 46, after Jesus resolved it in his heart, you know what Jesus did? Jesus said in Matthew 26, 46, he says, he gets up, he goes to his disciples, and he says to his disciples, I want you to arise, let's get going, for my betrayer is at hand. You know what Jesus is saying? I already wrestled with this for hours, and I already resolved in myself that it is the will of God for me to die, and I'm going to submit my will to his will, and can't nobody talk me out of it. Peter, you can't talk me out of it anymore. It doesn't matter what you do to me, Judas. Go ahead and kiss me real quick and get it over with, because I am going to submit to the will of God. We have too many people straggling the fence, because you have never understood that sometimes his ability to keep you at the garden is the ability to work things out of you so that you can stay longer on elevated places. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. So I prophesy in Jesus' name that somebody is getting ready to get out of the valley and go to the mountaintop. I prophesy in the name of Jesus the devil is defeated and God is exalted. I prophesy that every burned out person now feels the Spirit of God saying, Get up! I got work for you to do! Hallelujah! Hallelujah. I know it's cold outside and some people didn't come to church, but I do know this word is for you today. What do I learn from this story? I learned from this story that you've got to learn how to put, you know, put a public face to a private fight. Put it on Facebook. What's wrong with us? Stop it. Grow up. Stop. Number two, you got to learn that you can't get stuck at elevated places. You will have to go through a valley, but the promise is you'll go to another elevated place. You got to learn. The difference between am I burned out? Am I poured out? You've got to learn the difference. And you will go through both in life. But you've got to know the difference. You've got to learn the difference. And when you're experiencing a burnout or when you're experiencing a poured out, just because you are under something doesn't mean it's over. And just because you're not visible in the valley doesn't mean you're not valuable. Don't ever equate your value to you being visible. Because Jesus wasn't visible to the multitude at the crowd in the garden, but he sure was valuable. Amen. And I also learned that sometimes in the garden and in the valley, 
Sometimes the loudest people is the lightest people. No substance to them. Sometimes the garden is a place of few words. Jesus didn't talk much. He prayed the same prayer. He didn't have much to say. It was a place of being poured out. He wasn't burned out. He was poured out. Maybe the reason why we keep circling the same problems is because we haven't stayed enough time in the garden for God to cultivate us. Why do we fall apart when we're not approved by people? Why are we in such emotional distress when we don't get our way? Why does little things bother us and set us off? Why are we so consumed about what people think about us? Maybe it's because we've never resolved it in the garden. Never resolved it. Never worked it out. Never prayed it out. Never sought it out. We want to quickly go through it. Amen. 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 And amen. Praise God. I said praise God. Is there anybody that can just stand to your feet right now and give God a shout of praise for the Word of God can take effect in your life today? Hallelujah. Come on, somebody just put your hands together. Come on, you can do better than that. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. No, now, nobody leaving because it's early. I need to pray. Just everybody stay where you're at, please. Let's be respectful. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I do not know the Lord as our head is bowed and our eyes closed. I don't know the Lord. I've walked away from the Lord. I'm cold, but I feel a tug of the Spirit pulling me to make things right. And this morning, Pastor, I want to make things right quickly. I'm not going to prolong the service, but I do want to ask you, are you okay with God? Have you made things right with God on the count of three? One, two, three. Quickly, I want to make things right with God. Raise your hand. Is there any? I want to make things right with God. I want to make things right with God. If you're standing there, and you say, Preacher, there are some things that I need God. I've walked away. I'm cold. Maybe I'm in sin. I want to repent of my sin. If that is you, right where you're standing, right where you're at, I want you to take a few moments and I want you to say, Jesus, I confess you as Savior and Lord. I repent. I ask for your forgiveness. I confess you as Lord. I believe that you died. You were buried. And on the third day you rose again. I put my faith and trust in you alone, Jesus. Save me. Would you say that this morning? And if you believe that the Holy Spirit comes in and you become a new creature. But maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, you preach right to me. I'm in that valley. I just need help in that garden. I need help. Well, we're here to pray with you. Nobody will embarrass you, but I don't want to prolong this service, but I do want to pray with you. If you would just get out of your seat and come to the front and say, I just need strengthened as I'm walking through this valley. Would you come quickly on the count of three? Would you just get out of your seat and say, Preacher, pray for me. One, two, three. Just get out of your seat. Would you come? All right, somebody else. Come on, quickly come. Amen. Could we just give the Lord praise today?
Hallelujah. Come on, give God praise today. Ushers, if you could come and stand behind them. Elders, could you come? Pastoral staff, would you come? Amen. Elders and pastoral staff and care team, you're welcome to come. Stand behind them. Amen. Pastor Sean, let's sing, I am not alone. The rest of us, can we take a few moments and get out of our seat? Come around the front. Let's lift our hands and begin to worship the Lord. Could we do that? If, if you're uncomfortable in doing that, that's okay. Those that will, just come and let's worship the Lord. Could you lift your hands and begin to say, I'm not alone. I am not alone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Spirit would say unto you today, why do you hold on to the words of mere people and do not hold on to my words? For my words have lasted throughout eternity and my words have outlasted time. For why do you hold on to words of mere people and yet reject my timeless words, says the Lord? For I say unto them, my timeless words are more powerful and more sure than the words of people. And if I said my word went forth, my word has went forth, and it shall never come to be void, for it will do what it was sent to accomplish to do, says the Lord. So this morning, those that's up here, raise your hands if you will. Let us hold on to the words of God. And you know what the word of God is? Is I am not alone. I will never be alone. And it doesn't matter. You've got to, listen, you've got to tell your feelings some facts. Your feelings are not facts. Your feelings can be fickle. You've got to tell your feelings some facts. I'm not alone. He is with me. Sometimes you've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen. God is good. Come on, God is good. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's doing it, Jennifer.
something if you are new to Christ point you come from a different faith and maybe you see people crying maybe you see some people you know they fell on the floor I just want to remind you that sometimes when people sense the presence of God our bodies respond to what we feel and that's normal in life we we're we're we're, we're human we respond to what we feel and sometimes when we sense the presence of God, some people may fall on the floor. That's called slain in the spirit. They just sensed it so much they couldn't stand. Some people may cry. Some people may kneel down. Some people may raise their hands. You don't have to do that. And nobody's going to ask you to do that. But we want you to be aware that sometimes when people sense the presence of God, there is a response there. Now, if you want to, could this place just worship the Lord? Just those that want to, would you worship the Lord by the lifting of your hands? If not, would you just... Would you sit there and just begin to worship the God for a moment? Amen. Amen. Ooh, yeah, yeah. We are 